a lot of folks, uh, at some point in their Christian life, uh, and anybody that believes in God is going to come to a point where you go, okay, I believe in God, but what does God want of me? You know, sort of what's my job description? And sometimes people read through the Bible and they go, it seems like God's changing his mind. You know, he says this here, he says this here, he says this here. He makes these summaries sort of... Uh, statements to his people, but the truth is, if you, if you really looked at each of those carefully, you can harmonize them and see uh, that sometimes what appears to be, he wants this person to do this at this time, and this person to do this at this time, and this person to do that, that it really suits where those people are at, and it fits within the same thing he says over and over and over and over. Well, there's a passage in the Old Testament that I want to look at just for a minute, and it's, it's Micah 6.8. Now, I'm not going to ask you to look at it in your Bible. It'll take you forever to find one of those little tiny prophets that uh, nobody knows. But it's a, it's a real simple verse. It just says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee? So that's how it starts out. What do you, and and uh, because the couple of verses before it, the, the people of Israel were going, Okay, God, what do you want from us? And there's this dialogue that the prophet records. And he says, okay, you want to know what does the Lord require of you? He has shown you, oh man, and he uses the word Adam there, so he means everybody. He has shown you, oh man, what is the Lord, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? And he says three things. He says to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Oh, there you go, thank you. Wow, this is a crack technical team back there. Sorry, I didn't mean that sarcastically. I meant that seriously. <laughs> I didn't ask him to do that. So this is our job description. Now, if you want to take this, you could, this, is, this is one of those sorts of job descriptions that you can put on your refrigerator, and it'll take you the rest of your life to try to master this. But it's really what we're called to do, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And you, could, you can find all the, the, these summary statements of, of God's will for our lives in the Bible. And you'll see, you can sum up what they all say and you can find them in this. Just like you can find this in those other statements. So what does it mean? Well, the first thing I want you to see was when the people of Israel said, God, what do you want of us? He says, listen, I, I've shown you what's good and what I require of you. Meaning... I've, I've been showing you this as long as you've been my people. So he wasn't bringing some new idea to them. He was reminding them of what he had said to them over and over and over. And so when God speaks to us, it will be absolutely in line with what he's been saying to us before in our lives and to all his people throughout history. He doesn't just make up new things because he's bored. You know, I don't know if they're ever going to get my will, so I'm going to just make up something new. He is the same, and what he says is, it's good. And you know, there's been a lot written about the good life in, in philosophical circles. What is it that's the good life? What is it that we are meant to live? And what God said to these, these folks in Israel at this time, through the prophet Micah, he said, listen... The life that you've experienced as you encounter me is the good life that I mean for you to live. Now, they weren't living it at that point, but he was reminding them, listen, this is how I want you to live. And, and when he says, what does the Lord require of you? In the Hebrew, that means, what do you expect? 
What would one expect? And so when God comes to people who say they believe in him and who say that they've met him in a meaningful way, they've met goodness. And the person that they've met is supposed to leave this imprint on their life that then they work out for the rest of their lives. And so these three things he says is to do justice. Now, this is a kind of a controversial statement in the church in, in some circles because people tend to think that way too politically uh, about what the Bible teaches. And sometimes ideas, unfortunately, become associated with political parties or political movements uh, or individuals. And they, they get taken out of their context in the Bible. And, they, and, and when that happens, we don't hear God speaking to us in the way that we're supposed to. Because then we, we become accustomed to just thinking this is just about something political. And it's not, not saying anything bad about politics. But God wants every... When he said, he has shown you, oh man, he's speaking to Adam. He's talking to everybody. And he's not dividing us up into parties. And cliques and groups and movements. He's saying, this is what I want you to do. And the word justice is mentioned hundreds of times in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. And, you know, we tend to think, oh, justice. Isn't that where, like, the bad guys really, you know, they get what's coming to them? Isn't that what justice is about? Well, that is one part of justice. That's one aspect of justice, that people are held accountable for their actions and, and get the proper consequences. But justice is a way bigger concept than that. And what he's saying here, he says, you, as your job description, if you're a believer in God, is to do justice. And so I'm not going to take the time because we're kind of compressing time here. If I could talk faster, I would, by the way. Uh, Doing justice means to care for the weakest and the most vulnerable people among us. To do justice. And is to care. And justice there means you look at the people who are vulnerable, the poor, widows, single parents, children at risk, people who are in prison, believe it or not, they're vulnerable. Uh, if you never visited prisons or worked in prisons, it's the most, one of the most vulnerable communities in the world. Uh, there's a lot of injustice that goes on there, even though they're in there for oftentimes their own foolish choices. There's a lot of bad stuff that happens in those prison walls. Uh, immigrants, uh, outsiders, you know, I mean, you, you name it. There's all kinds of people that we might not see as people that God sees as vulnerable, but you can't read the Bible and not see that God has a heart, a just huge, huge heart for them. In fact, one of, the, one of the defining characteristics of the Bible is that in contrast to every other culture that's ever existed in the world, Every culture in the world, I mean, here, here's the thing. You go to the Near East Side of Columbus, there's not paparazzi standing outside the, the cigarette stores taking pictures of people coming out of there, right? Oh my gosh, I want to see you. Look, it's, this, it's a homeless guy. No, they're following around movie stars and famous people and powerful people, and they put them on magazine colors. But the Bible says that to this one that God looks, he looks to the weak and the poor he cares about all the people that people don't care about. And again, I'm not going to take time to show you. I could show you hundreds of verses that say that. 
Now you think, this doesn't sound like the message I hear a lot of times in church, John. Well, I think sometimes we don't get these simple job descriptions that God says, do justice. We're supposed to care for those people. We are supposed to care for those people. You, that's right, you, I, I mean you. If I missed anybody, consider yourself pointed at. You are called to do justice. You're called to care for those people. The prophet was speaking to all of them. And he was saying that all these people, their lives at some point are overwhelming. And if you go through the Bible, again, this is summarizing huge volumes of material. The three reasons why people get in trouble when they're vulnerable. There's three reasons. It's, it's real simple. The Bible, you can just summarize everything it says about why people get into a mess. They get into a mess sometimes because of natural disasters. They get into a mess because of injustice and oppression. And they get in a mess because of personal moral failure. And sometimes all three of those things happen at once. And so when we begin to want to do justice, we're dealing with huge complicated problems that, that you can't throw a few bucks at and fix. Oftentimes. And so it's not easy. It's challenging. And, and so everybody who's, who's ever tried to take the whole call to do justice seriously knows it's time-consuming. It's challenging. It's, in fact, sometimes it's overwhelming. And so the next thing he says is not just do justice, but love mercy. Well, what does that mean? Again, there's that adjective, love, I mean, a verb, love mercy. He's saying, if you're going to do justice, you have to do it with an attitude of loving mercy. Because you're going to be dealing with people who are really gnarly people, generally. Who are difficult to deal with. They're in difficult situations. They're unhappy. They're frustrated. They're hurting. Sometimes they've gotten themselves in those situations oftentimes. And they're not going to be easy to deal with. And you better love mercy. You better delight in mercy. And again, believers in God, we're supposed to have experienced this from God. That the mercy that we've we've been given freely is supposed to imprint on us profoundly and it's supposed to be something that we live out again about justice for example job in the book of job said about justice he said i wear justice like a robe what picture does that give you he wanted to live a life of justice This is a lifestyle God's called us to. When he says walk humbly with your God, that's the linchpin of this whole thing. But that word walk there says something. God's trying to tell us that that our job description, our lifetime job description is real simple. To care for the most vulnerable among us with an attitude, a heart attitude of loving generosity. You talk about as challenging a job description as anybody could ever get. That is simple, but it is challenging. I mean, just try doing that with your own kids. <laughs> right? If you've raised kids, you know what it's like. It's challenging. And so, now, when, when, whenever I have these conversations with people, people have objections about this. They go, gosh, John, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple here. I, I have a bunch, but I'm just going to give you a couple. For example, uh, some people say, which is an, an absolutely correct 
objection is these people are in trouble because of the decisions that they've made, right? I mean, how many times have you had a relative or a friend or somebody that comes across your path and they're in a vulnerable place in their life and as you, as you kind of get into the story, you realize, man, they made some really stupid decisions over and over and over. They were warned not to over and over and over and yet here they are. Well, that must mean that I don't help them because, you know, they got themselves in this mess. They can get themselves out. No. When God came to us, isn't that our story? Isn't that our story? There isn't anybody in this room that that's not your story. The mess I was in, the mess I've gotten myself in over and over and over, was largely of my own making. Yet, I'm so thankful that God sent Jesus, and and in Jesus sent his mercy to me and his grace to help me get out of that terrible place I had gotten myself into. Now, how many times have you let that stop you from helping someone? Now, it doesn't mean we're supposed to enable people. Clearly, Jesus says we have to teach people to take responsibility for their actions and, and, and come alongside them. But just doing that, you know, kind of uh, tisk tisk, wagging your finger at people is not what God ever does to us. He does hold the truth up to us. But he comes alongside us and helps us walk out of the mess that we've gotten ourselves into. And he helps give us grace and resources and presence and wisdom and encouragement. I mean, there, there, you, a lot of us take for granted, foolishly, naively, how much we were given and how we were raised, and where we were raised. Who raised us, and who had raised them, and how much of an investment that was that was put into our hearts and our lives. We just take for granted, those of us, you know, it, it, I'd say most of us in, in sitting in this room do not manage our money well, but when you deal with some people who are really vulnerable, they are complete, their, their finances are a complete wreck. Because their parents' finances were a complete wreck. And their parents, parents, parents. And we just can't take it for granted that that isn't something that's a gracious gift that was given us. Because you can look at yourself and say, I'm so glad I, you know, I handle my money wisely. Yeah, you should thank God first that your parents did a lot of hard work with you to teach you how to do that. And other people. You know, nobody picks themselves up by their bootstraps. By the grace of God. We are where we are. And so that needs to permeate our attitude with these people. Another uh, thing people said, this is a, a big one I hear when you say care for these people. People say, I don't have enough to spare. I don't. I look at my checkbook at the end of the month. I have more month than I have money. I, I have last month I'm still looking at. Right? But the truth is, uh, and I, I was reading this week, I, I heard about this uh, sermon uh, by a man named Jonathan Edwards. And it was written back in 1742. And I read the whole sermon. You think my messages are long. <laughs> my messages are commercials. <laughs> They're 30-second commercials compared to this guy. I have a 27-page single 
line, compressed, a 10-point font sermon I read this week, that if I read that, it would be at least two hours. But it was so full. I'm just saying that so you guys stop getting on my back about preaching so long. Right. I just want you to feel better about that right now. Uh, they didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have all the things that we have, right? Okay, cool. Past that point. But if I could preach like Jonathan Edwards, probably no way I would complain that they preached so long. I, I can't. Anyway. Uh, but I want to give him credit. He, I got a number of these objections from him. And it was in sort of different kinds of English. But he pointed out... That by God's grace, if we're going to help people, many times we are going to suffer with them. We can't make an excuse that we don't have enough. Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a servant to live with us and identify with us. If we're following him, we're supposed to follow that life. And there's times where we're not giving people our extra we're, we're cutting the meat and giving it to them. We're sharing from what we need to do to pay our mortgage. Jesus didn't just give us out of God's overflow that what didn't cost him anything. He, what he gave us, he, it cost him everything. And isn't that what love is? Isn't real love costly? And so it, it, this is a bar that I think God's trying to raise in the church because in the church, in, 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 what's interesting, when you read the book of Micah, and you go back and you find out about what it was like, it was, a, it was probably in the history of Israel, it was the second most prosperous time in Israel, in their entire history. The people were doing really well, but ironically, there was beginning to be a, 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 a big gap between the people who had a lot and the people who had less. And it was just widening and widening. And there's lots of reasons why that happens, but largely during that time it was happening because the people at the bottom were paying for the people at the top more than they were meant to. And Micah was saying to them, listen, pay attention. Love is going to cost you something. Love is going to, it's expensive to show it. And how many times... Seriously, I just want you to go back because this is one of those doing messages. There's a lot of grace at the end, but this is one of those doing messages where you're supposed to recognize and go back in your little wayback machine and ask yourself, has there been times where I've let myself off the hook because I thought, I can't give any money. I don't have any extra. You have got to begin to put into your calculation before God Lord, this, number one, this is your money. I'm holding it for you. I believe that it's to pay my bills and, and meet my needs and my commitments. But are you telling me at this time that I'm supposed to take some of the money that I have to pay those things and help this other person who's in need? Because you want me to share in their burden and share in their suffering. How do you bear someone's burden if it's not a burden? Right? Now, it's nice if, and there are people in our church, you guys have been really good with your finances, and so you've saved, and you have accounts. There are people in our church who have accounts for people to help people with. That's cool. I wish I could say I had that. I don't. And, and so at times I'm giving out extra, but at times I've learned I have to give because I'm, I need to share. And, and that, but most of us, that really isn't even a, an option. We just, 
can't care for the poor. We can't care for those in need because we refuse, honestly, to let it cut into our lifestyle. And that's not love. Do you see that? And God so loved the world, he gave. He so loved the world, he gave. Uh, uh, And the cool thing is when... This is one of the things you have to remember. I believe this with all my heart. Jesus stressed this over and over and over. When he talked in the context of helping people who were in need, he said, in in Luke 6.38, he said, Give, and it will be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running out into your lap. It's like, imagine you're sitting, and you have a a basket full of grain, because that would be the picture that they would... It would come to mind. And you take a handful, a couple of handfuls of grain, and you share it. You know, you say, come over here. You, you need some help. And, you, and, and you, know, you get, someone comes over, because as they would do back then, they would take like a, a, a top they have, and they'd pick it up and make like a little a pouch. And you would just pour the grain in there. And, as, and, as, and grain is life. You know, in, in an agricultural context, grain is life. And as you take that grain and you give it away, and the, the person just weeps because you're, you're caring for them, you look down and the grain, the hole in the grain starts filling up and it starts growing and just pouring out in your lap, just pouring out all around you. And what he's saying is when we don't choose to cut into our lifestyle and help other people, we miss some of the best investment opportunities we'll ever have. I mean, everybody tends to have one of those stories. Oh, I could have bought Microsoft when it was 50 cents, right? (laughs) I had a chance to get on the ground floor. Every time you help those who are weak, you are getting it on the ground floor of an investment that God says, I won't forget. This is not an empty investment. I am the king who cares about those people. I identify with them. Jesus came, as we marvel at in the Christmas season, you know, churches actually put GPS devices in the baby Jesus now because people, I don't know what it is, they like to steal the baby Jesus. It's a weird thing, isn't it? We actually don't have a GPS device in our baby Jesus up here. But this picture, you guys see this? This is a picture. This is not a, a picture of Jesus coming into the world in designer wear. in a fully climate-controlled environment, right? Is it? Who is Jesus coming into the world with? The poorest people, outsiders, people without, the weak, the weak. And in America, we really prize and value strength, power, money, you know, position. And God says that's not bad he's not against that but he's saying if you value it too much your world's upside down and jesus came like that the truth came there because he wants to take us there because when we go there our world starts turning right side up and we start seeing people because what happened in, in in micah's day was as people got money and they got they got comfortable They stopped seeing other people as image bearers of God. They they started being distorted in their perspective. 
Do you understand? That's what money, we're, we're all in this room. Well, not all, but many of us are really comfortable. We're really comfortable. And it changes the way we see people. And you may sit there and go, I don't know, John. I still love people. Do you? Do you? Like Jay likes to say, do you have skin in the game? You know, among the weak, do you have a significant flow of generosity towards the weak? Time, energy, and money. Again, not just sending checks. I mean, it's nice to, to, to support those kids that you can support through World Vision or other organizations. But this is a do job description. It is a personal investment. Jesus came. God wants us to go. He wants us to involve ourselves in these complicated, hairy situations. Like, like Jay and Maggie are constantly. Like these, they've, been, they've been ministering to these uh, kids, these foster care kids, for years. Just kind of tracking them through the system and loving them and trying to be there for them and help them in, in, in small and big ways. And that's what we're all supposed to do. And there's lots of other objections. I, I think one of the hardest ones is these problems feel really big. When you start getting close to people who, have, who are the vulnerable and the weak, their problems get so big. There are times where I'm talking to people and I'm starting, I'm starting to hyperventilate a little bit. Because <laughs> I'm realizing, okay, I'm the only person in the room that has any resources. <laughs> and I'm starting to feel, I'm going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I'm just hearing the hole getting bigger and bigger and bigger as they tell you more and more and more. And you just, when you, when you do that, you just want to back away. And just go, thank you very much. <laughs> just give, give me a call. You know my number. <laughs> you just want to do that, don't you? It's overwhelming. You ever have a relative call you up you haven't talked to in a while and that story comes out? You just go, oh my gosh, you know, how did they get my number? <laughs> and you feel overwhelmed. And again, back to that thing, there has to be this heart attitude. God isn't trying to be, uh, us to be welfare machines, you know, just helping people. He wants us to, to do justice with this heart attitude of loving generosity. And Every time you have an opportunity to serve people, you're going to see what's really in your heart. You will. What's in your heart comes up when you get around these people. That's why sometimes we don't like to be around them. Because it does show us what our hearts are really like. And the excuses that we make and the, the rationalizing and the you know, avoidance and all the stuff, the games that we play. Just, just to, to get out of the, the sense of obligation that we really have. We do not have an obligation to fix every person's problem and every problem of every person. But we're called to do justice one person at a time. Just one person at a time. One situation at a time. And we're, and we're called to put skin in the game. You are. If you've met Jesus... Because he's loved you, you're supposed to love other people. He's freely showed you mercy. You're supposed to show it to other people. And it cost him to show you that mercy. And it's going to cost you to show that mercy. There's no way to get around that. It's an unavoidable 
commitment. See, you thought you were like the, those songs that we sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The saved the wretched. Oh, it just it feels so good. Then you start realizing, I'm supposed to show that amazing grace to other people. The sound isn't so sweet right now. <laughs> you know, when it really gets down to it, it's a little, you know, a little off key now. It, it, you know, it's just a little discordant here. That's the truth. And when, when we see our heart at that point, we've got to first realize we're not called to fix everything of everybody. We're just not. Okay? You're not. God doesn't want you to feel the obligation to do everything for everyone. The cool thing is there's so many examples of this. I was, I was reading this week in a book called Generous Justice. And uh, uh, in New York City, in this church, there was a guy who heard a lot of teachings about justice, and he was the owner of a chain of, of, of car dealerships. And he started asking himself, well, God, how can I do justice where I work? You know, I mean, I, I'm just totally in this, in this business that's just kind of impersonal. People buy my product. We haggle over the price, you know. They bring their car here. I mean, how can I show the kingdom here? And what he, so he started uh, talking to his salesman and talking to all his people, and he realized that white upper-class people are real good about pressing for as good a price as they can, right? I mean, you know, we know to look in certain places for uh, the, the true value of cars, and you go back, whether it's a used car or a new car, you know, there's, there's negotiating room. And, and that white people tend to be better, in his experience, and I'm not saying this is a generalization, but in New York City, he said those people knew how to haggle and get the price down to the, to, till the, you know, till the salesman said, that's it, bottom line. But he said, women and Latinos in particular and African Americans would come into his dealership and they just didn't feel as comfortable with haggling with the salesman and so they tended to pay more for the cars. And so he had his accounting department look at it and he decided they they figured out how to set the price somewhere in between and they said we're not going to negotiate we're going to charge a set price and if people don't want it that's fine but i'm not gonna he didn't feel like it was illegal or even immoral he just saw that this would be a good thing to do to not get as much as i can off of every customer Especially when they just maybe don't come from a background where they're in as good a position to deal with someone who's a professional at their business. And so I'm, I'm going to make a profit, but I'm not going to make as big a profit as I could. And that wouldn't be bad. But he just was serious about saying, how can I do my little part? And every person who came in there who bought a car from him made a difference. Now he said... It had no difference in the bottom line of my dealership that I could tell. But I knew it was the right thing to do. Because sometimes, you, you know, businessmen go, well, I'm, I'll do anything that will help me. Right? I'm not going to do anything that's going to hurt me. And he didn't even know what would happen when he did this. Because some people go to car dealerships. My wife, Kathy, loves to haggle. I mean, it, 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 if we lived in Mexico, she would be a happy camper. Because, you know, when you go to markets in Mexico, you, you, there isn't just a price. Well, there's a price, but... You're, you know you're going to haggle with the person, right? And, and they'll go, oh, that's too much, you know. Yeah, go away. You know, you're asking too much. Or, or, or the person goes, ah, I don't want that, you know. You, you wouldn't do that in Kroger, would you? Right? You, you go up to the checkout and you, 
and the, you know, the, 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 the can of that juice you like. So, you know, I don't really want to pay three fifty. dollars Would you take, like, two ninety? They would just look at you like, is there something wrong with you, sir? That wouldn't, but in other cultures, that's, that's the way. You barter over things. And, and, you know, that's the way the world works. But in our culture, we don't realize this is part, like our system isn't an equal system no matter what we think. And some of us are in a position to do certain things about that, but all of us can do little things to make a difference. Now, I said, uh, to get to the last point, do justly, love mercy. And the struggle we have is to walk humbly with God. This is the key to doing justice and loving mercy. It's the key. And that's why I think at this point Micah puts it last. And he's telling them about something about themselves. I've, I've said, I've often mentioned this to you guys, that if, if you know anything about the geography of the world, it's no accident that God chose a group of people to be his unique people to be an example to the world of what it was like to worship the one true God that lived at the intersection of the ancient world. That between Europe and Asia and Africa, all the roads travel through this little strip of land called uh, the promised land, Palestine, Israel. And that God chose to put these people there and he, and he said to them, and Jerusalem was their capital, he said, you're the city on a hill. And Jesus turned around and said that to his disciples, most of whom, again, were the poor, the dispossessed, the messed up people. Of course, there were rich and powerful people among Jesus' disciples. But for the most part, like the people that came to hear John the Baptist, that were in all the trouble, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the, you know, the people who were kind of outsiders, they were the ones that all came to Jesus. And Jesus said to them, you are now part of this people who are a city on a hill. And literally Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, was up on a mountain. And as you traveled towards it, on the mountain was the temple with all of its beauty and gold inlay. And the light would hit it. With all, and they, made, they, they built it out of these beautiful white stones. And so the light would hit it and it was just magnificent. It was a beautiful city. But it was a metaphor for a people in whom God dwelled who loved justice. I mean, who did justice and loved mercy and walked humbly with God. And so as everyone came by there, they learned about these people who had one God. And that one God loved them and chose them and made him his people, not because of anything that they had done. And then as they walked with him, he protected them and provided for them and forgave them and, and dwelt among them and spoke to them and called them by name and had covenants with each of them. That Caleb could have a covenant with God. And someone would know who, that God Almighty cared about Caleb. Who would have thought of that? Thank you. I, got, I already got one, but thank you anyway. It's a signal my voice is going, so I'm going to stop. So we are called, you're called, to be a part of a community that's a community of justice, 
mercy, and humility. And it's a, that's not a community that you find anywhere else in the world. It's not. There just isn't people that are communities that are marked with this kind of vision. That we are going to care for the, the weakest people in the world. Children, at-risk children. We're going to care for people who have messed their lives up. We're going to care for prisoners and immigrants that people don't want to spend any time with. Except, you know, to, to make money off of them. Like you guys have heard Ola, the Nigerian guy in our church, talk about how he, when he came in the United States, uh, he, he was an illegal immigrant. He overstayed his visa. And he worked for, for years. And, and he would get paid sometimes and sometimes he wouldn't because the, the, the people he worked for knew, what's he going to do? If he complains about it, he's going to get deported. We could take advantage of him. That's the side of immigration we don't hear about. And there's a lot of that that goes on. Some of you work for people like that, and you know if you weren't a, an American citizen, you'd get treated like that because they almost treat you like that even though you're an you know, you're American citizen. You have rights. Right? I've heard, nobody's saying right, but I've heard many of you complain about sometimes your, your work environments, and it's like that. We have to be people who say that is our mission. That is what we're called to. And so, we can't do that without Jesus. He's the only one, literally, who's ever lived this out perfectly. He's the only one who's ever done justice faithfully, always. He's the only one who's always loved mercy. And he's the only one who's ever walked humbly with God. I mean, we have, all of us could say, well, there's a moment where I've done justice. There's a moment where I've loved mercy. And there's a moment where I've walked with God. But for the most part, that's, that's the exception in our lives. But the gospel says if we come to Jesus and we put our trust in him and follow him, that his life will come into us and be formed in us and we can begin to live that out. We're going to live it out imperfectly, I'll admit. But we will live it out in a way that we can never do it on our own. And this is the good life. This is the life the philosophers have dreamed of being realized in the earth. And that you are invited into it. You're invited to be able to live out the life of Jesus. And it's a life that starts with you experiencing this lavish love from God. This lavish mercy. That Jesus takes the justice that you're due. And that God doesn't do it begrudgingly. He does it generously because he loves you. He loves Steve and Caleb and John and Kay and Mary and Maggie. And that he chose to do what he did for us willingly, not under, with any arm twisting or compulsion. And that the whole life of God that's so, that, that we hunger to know, it comes to us through Jesus. It is available to you and me. But God doesn't want it to just be available to us. He's trying to, to, to bring it into the world through us, through a community that says this is how we're going to live. And so it is something you have to embrace, that you have to go, this is my job description. This is what I'm signing up for, to do justice, to care for the, the, the most exposed, weak people in the world, 
and to do it with an attitude of generosity, joyful generosity. That's what we're called to. And if you put your trust in Jesus and you follow him, he's the vine, you're the branches. He says, if you abide in me, my life will come through you. Where you struggle, he has already won that battle in your heart. And if you look to him and trust him and build your life around him and live for him, that life begins to come through you. I mean, that's the story for 2,000 years that brings, that creates these songs. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was blind, but now I see. Was lost, but now I'm found. It's not just people punching tickets to heaven. It's people who are experiencing heaven breaking into their lives. That the life of Jesus is actually to be experienced by anybody and everybody. So, Let's just, let's just close for a minute and uh, why don't you stand up with me and you know the gospel is simple like ABC. When, when we admit that, that we can't make that happen, when we admit that we've really missed God's best and then we believe in Jesus and we confess him with our mouths, that ABC, that is how we begin and continue a life with God. You know, probably most of us here, we've already believed in Jesus. But I think a lot of us here have to admit today, I've totally opted out of the do justice thing. I mean, every once in a while, I'll, I'll throw some cash towards that. Every once in a while, I'll inconvenience myself, and open the door for somebody going into the store. You know, that's my big doing justice moment. <laughs> Maybe you can admit and identify, I, I have missed it. I've missed this justice boat. And for sure, then when I've done justice, I've avoided a lot of it just because I don't want to love mercy. I don't want to do it with a joyful heart. That's not my ambition. Jesus wants to help you get there. It's not based on your white-knuckling it. It's based on you pressing into him and deepening your walk with him and opening your heart up to him about these areas. And so if you feel a little guilty today, that's good. Because I, I open this talk by saying there are times in every believer's life where they go, God, what do you want of me? And maybe you have asked that question recently or not, I don't mean in the last day or two, but sometime recently. And God's just speaking to you now and saying, this is what I have for you. This is why we do Mercy Project, why we're involved with organizations like Bread and other things that we do as a church. And a lot of churches are, are, have, have recognized this. This has been the historic mission of the church. 